as we transition, we're going to be in the book of Colossians here this morning. I'm so excited. I love this book. It's a joy to be able to bring God's Word to you here this morning. So if you have a Bible, please open it up to Colossians chapter 2. There's some black Bibles in the chairs in front of you as well. I'm not sure what page that's on. I forgot to look, but I I trust that you guys can use the table of contents if you don't know where the, the book of Colossians is. So I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And if you will, would you stand with me as we revere God's word and read it together? Colossians chapter 2, starting verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, King Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are one God manifest in three persons. We see that clearly here in this passage. And Lord Jesus, we ask, would you be honored here this morning? Would you open our eyes, our ears, but most importantly, our hearts to what you have for us with your word here this morning? God, I am so thankful for the mothers that we have that are part of our church Lord, would they be rooted in the gospel? Would they be like the psalmist in Psalm 1 that finds their delight in the law of the Lord? Would would our mothers meditate on God's word day and night? And would the fruit of their lives, the fruit of their children, be that of a mother who is rooted and established in the gospel? Lord, I also want to pray for our grads. Thank you for that uh, They have persevered through this season. Lord, I ask just that your hand would be upon them. And as they have the foundation in Christ, would they be built up in him with whatever you have for them in their lives? Would they uh, continue to abound and work for you, not for man? And Lord, I pray for our church as as a whole here this morning. Would we be established in the faith? Would we love you and cherish you all the more? Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Okay, so this morning I have a question for you. Have you ever been walking 
And then you trip and fall only to wonder if anyone's looking. I'm sure a lot of you have maybe been there before. For me, when I was thinking about that this week, it brought me back to my middle school days, actually. And in middle school, every day for lunch, we would get our food with our tray and we would have to walk down these stairs to kind of this sunken cafeteria where all the tables were. And right at the edge of those stairs were the, the trash cans. And so we'd, we'd pass the trash cans every day. And at least once a week, somebody would take a digger. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And everyone would laugh. And I would just had this anxiety like, oh, please don't let that happen to me. And then the day came. And I had finished my lunch, and I, I picked up my tray, and I'm walking to the trash cans, walking up the stairs, and I kind of half trip, I like slip, and I, and I reach, and I catch myself on the trash cans, and like suave, you know, like throw my tray away, and nobody laughs, and I'm like, whew, nobody saw. And then my friend's like, hey, good one, Daniel, ha ha, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, and then everyone in the whole cafeteria laughed, and it was like my worst nightmare that came true. So... I share that story with you, though, because walking can be tough. Walking, which is something so basic to our day-to-day life, uh, oftentimes we can trip and fall, and we just wonder, geez, how did I even get down here? And similarly, with our sin, sin causes us to stumble, and sin causes us to fall short of the glory of God. But God not, has not left us alone there. God has not left us down there, but he's united us to his son, Jesus. Union with Christ is one of the most profound doctrines that we find throughout the New Testament. Yet I think it is one of the most neglected doctrines in the Christian life. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Today's passage commands us to walk. We are to walk in Christ. Now, walk is a Jewish idiom for your manner of life, for how you conduct yourself. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, since we've been united with Christ, we are to walk in Him. Since we are united to Christ, we are to walk with the emphasis in Him. So, last week, as you guys, a lot of you know, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. And Aaron taught us that every man and every woman is a minister. And it's when every man and woman is a minister that the church reaches maturity. But he also hit on this idea of the mystery. The mystery of God that's been hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. That mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory. That mystery is our union with Christ. So we're going to hit on this idea of union with Christ all throughout the passage today, but it's all throughout the book of Colossians. And I encourage you to read the book of Colossians with this lens of our union with Christ. Because I think it has implications and reverberations into our daily life. So I got three points for us here this morning. My first point here is since we've been united to Christ, we must be thankful. If you still have your Bibles open, let's read again verses 6 and 7. Classic, awesome verses here. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, how did the Colossians receive Christ? 
Well, as many of us know, they received it through Epaphras sharing that gospel. But they received it when they believed in that gospel message. They received it by faith. And now Paul is telling them, just as you received it, you are to walk by faith. You are to walk by faith in the truths of the gospel. Established in that faith as well. That same manner of faith, that manner of life is to be rooted and built up. And he gives two great metaphors here. These metaphors paint a picture of us walking in the Christian life as we build up our lives, as we have that firm foundation of roots in Christ, of who we are in him and what he has accomplished for us. And it's then when we are it's then and only then that we are established in the faith. What he's talking about here is Christian maturity. Maturity comes from not only understanding our union with Christ, but also the application of it in our daily lives. So let me give you a definition for our union with Christ. The definition is the relationship between believers and Christ through which we receive every benefit of our salvation. I'll say that again for you note takers. The relationship between believers and Christ through which we receive every benefit of our salvation. Union, union with Christ begins as we've been elected in Christ before the foundations of the world. It continues and comes to realization when we, by faith, are united to Christ. And then it becomes complete when we are with Christ in glory. The Apostle Paul, he highlights this, this doctrine, this beautiful doctrine of union with Christ all throughout his New Testament writings. And you see it in the language of being in Christ or being in him, being found with him or in whom we have received whatever blessing. So as we walk in Christ, we are to abound in thanksgiving. A mark of maturity in the Christian's life is thankfulness. Now, not just a thankfulness for the material or physical blessings that God has given us, whether it's the roof over our head or the breakfast that we got to enjoy this morning, the, the multiple taps that we have in our house, or the kids, the minivan, or, or whatever. Like Those things are great blessings from God, and we should be thankful for them. But let us have a thankfulness for our union with Christ, a spiritual thankfulness. We've already seen this in the book of Colossians. He talks about it in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, where it says, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are to be thankful for those things. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 22 talks about we are holy, blameless, above reproach. Verse 27 talks about Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are to be thankful for these spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ. So by way of application, I want you to think of a time when God really gripped your heart. A time in your life when you were thankful for the work, for his work in your life. Maybe it's when you became a believer. Or maybe it was a, a concentrated time of spiritual growth. Or maybe it was a trial that you were walking through. What truths of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for you caused you to abound in thanksgiving? 
Remember those things. But also remember that Thanksgiving does not have to be this solo endeavor. We're called to live in community so we can process the highs and the lows of walking with Christ together. We come to a passage and even a v- verses like this and we immediately put our 21st century lens onto this, this text with our Western individualistic American culture. Guys, Paul wrote this letter to a church and we are to walk in Christ together as a church and we are to abound in thanksgiving together as a church. So we too, as a church, can walk in thankfulness for our union with Christ. A question that I love to ask people is, where have you seen Christ at work in your life this week? What is, what is one thing that you're thankful for God's work in your life here this week? You can ask that at lunch. You can ask that in your life group or when you're just together with uh, other believers who are united to him. It causes us to abound in thanksgiving. And as we abound in thanksgiving, we must resist the temptation to add to our union to Christ. And that's my second point here this morning. Since we've been united to Christ, we must resist the temptation to add to our union with Christ. So the Colossians, they were a young but growing church. The gospel had taken root in them. They were being built up and established in the faith. And as they walked in Christ, Paul called them to be on guard, to resist the false teaching that was coming at them that was being infiltrated within the church. They were to resist the temptation to add to Christ. Now this Colossian heresy, Matt's going to go into a lot of detail with it next week with his passage, but let me just share with you, it, it is a smorgasbord of ideas and convictions, and they were mixing a little bit of this with a little bit of that, with sprinkling in a little bit of Jesus. It was syncretism. And Paul describes it in verse 8 as a philosophy. This philosophy was, is also described as empty deceit. It's hollow. It's false. And if, we, if the Colossians were not to resist it, they were going to be taken captive by it. They were going to be robbed from the blessings of their union with Christ or their understanding of it. And so it says that it's according to human tradition, um, but it also says that it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. If you have the NIV, it says the basic principles. And what he's saying here is that this heresy, like all heresy is, is that it comes from Satan, that it is demonic in its influence. Satan is the ruler of the world, and he wants to knock people off their game. He wants to distract. He wants to have them think and live in light of his ways, not in the ways of the Lord. So the Colossian heresy was telling the people of God that Christ was not enough, that they need more, that they need to add to their union with Christ. And so Paul called them to resist this temptation, and we must resist it as well. Let me give you a simple equation It's not original to me, but I'll give you a simple equation to resist the temptation to adding something to our lives. That equation is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's break that down here with this passage. Starting in verse 9 in Jesus, it says, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity. What Paul's saying here is that Jesus is in fact God. We've hammered this all throughout the Gospel of John over the last year and a half, as well as Aaron hit on this two weeks ago with chapter 1, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator, the sustainer, the leader and savior of the church. But he also dwells bodily. And that bodily dwelling is not just in the resurrection but it's also through his death. He died bodily. He was buried bodily, but he also rose from the grave victoriously bodily. He ascended on high to the right hand of the Father, and he will return one day bodily. This is who Jesus is. So the second part of the equation, plus nothing. Jesus has accomplished everything on your, ha- on your behalf and on my behalf. In order to be united with him and receive all the blessings of our salvation. We don't need to add anything to our union with Christ. And Paul gives two metaphors here in this passage in verses uh, 13 and 14 here. He, he gives two metaphors here that uh, were a common problem in the early church. A common problem that people uh, were trying and attempting to add to their salvation, to add to their union with Christ. And the first one is circumcision. Circumcision, it's a metaphor here, not the real deal. But what he's saying here is that sin very much was alive in us. That is, the flesh controlled us. Its influence overpowered us. But in Christ, the flesh has been cut off. It has been crucified. It no longer lives. It was our master. But notice at the end of verse 11, he says that Christ did this for you. You do not have to add to your work. You do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Christ has circumcised your heart and now you are united to him. The second uh, metaphor mentioned here is baptism. And baptism simply is symbolism. The symbolism is that you were dead in your sins and you needed to die to yourself and you went down into the grave and you rose victoriously just like Jesus did and now you walk in newness of life. Baptism is a proclamation of your faith. It always follows faith in the New Testament. And so baptism is not a requirement for for salvation. Baptism is, in fact, a symbol of your union with Christ, that you have been saved. And let me encourage you guys, baptism is such an awesome thing that we celebrate here at the crossing. And if you have come to faith in Jesus and you've yet to be baptized, let me encourage you, be baptized. It's not about you, but it's about Jesus. It's a proclamation of what he's done in your life. And it's something that we get to proclaim together as a church as you walk in newness of life until the end forevermore. So, Jesus plus nothing, lastly, equals everything. Notice in verse 10, he says, And you have been filled in him. You have been filled. 
That word filled there has this connotation of made complete. You are perfect. You have been full, filled to the brim. You do not need to add anything to your life in order to enjoy this life. But we are all prone to this and we must resist this this temptation. Let me explain. Imagine you're at the edge of the Pacific Ocean and you're right there on the shore, you're barefoot, you sink your toes into the sand and the waves come creeping up and they, they wash over your feet and this thought just hits you that you are this little tiny dot amidst this vast ocean, amidst this vast ocean right in front of you. And then another wave comes, washes over your feet, kind of snaps you to it. And you have a jar in your hand. And you reach down and you fill up that jar and it's full to the brim and you look at it. And right there in that jar, you have the fullness of the Pacific Ocean. You don't have the entire Pacific Ocean, but you have the fullness of the Pacific Ocean right there. And that's the same illustration as our union with Christ. We have been filled to the brim with him. Every longing of our heart, every desire in our mind, any satisfaction that you have in your life, it is found fully in Christ and Christ alone. And so let me ask you the question, where are you currently looking for fulfillment? Jesus plus what equals everything in your life? Where are you currently looking for fulfillment? As I thought about this here this week, I even chatted with a few uh, folks here in the body about this. And I think a cultural idol that we struggle with here in northern Colorado is this idea of adventure. Adventure, that we have this longing for adventure in our hearts and our lives are not complete until we go on that adventure. Our lives are not fulfilled until we experience these adventures. And it makes sense. We have the Rocky Mountains right here in our backyards, in our backyard. There's tons of hobbies that we can pursue. We've got great vacations. We want to travel. But ladies and gentlemen, we believe the lie that we're not living to our full potential until we live that adventure. Don't get me wrong. Adventures aren't bad. They're actually really good. I love going on adventures with my little boys. We come home and we go on an adventure to the mailbox and my little 18-month-year-old Augie, he's waddling all the way, screaming, and it's just the highlight of his day. Adventures aren't bad. They're, They're really good, but they make terrible gods and they will not fulfill us like Christ has. They will not fulfill us like being united to Christ. So what is it for you? Who is it for you? What are you looking to to find fulfillment? Another way that I could ask this is, where do you escape to get away from the everyday struggles of life? What part of that equation are you trying to add? Jesus plus what equals everything. Let me remind you, you've been filled with Christ. He is the fountain from whom all blessings flow. Let him be our refuge. Let us run to him in the struggles of our everyday life and the longings of our heart. So that leads me to my third point here this morning. Since we've been united to Christ, we must live in him. We must live in him. 
In, in verse 13, he says, you who were dead. This is a spiritual deadness. You very much physically were alive. You were breathing oxygen and letting out carbon dioxide. But what he's talking about here is spiritual deadness because of our trespasses, our sins against God. We were like a prison inmate on death row. We were a dead man walking. We walked as we continued to increase this record of debt mentioned in verse 14. Our sins and trespasses that we were enslaved to, that record of debt kept getting longer and longer and longer. But God, but God did not leave us there. Notice here in verse 13 that our union with Christ is the powerful working of God. I'll read it again. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. God made us alive. Our dead, stony hearts have been transformed, and now they're soft, and now they beat. They beat with a life for God. Paul is reminding the Colossians that as Christ was risen from the dead, a powerful working of God, we too are risen to new life. And if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are walking in newness of life, if you have been raised to newness of life, let me call you to live. Live in that newness of life. Sin no longer has power over you. You have been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son. Sin is not your master. You are no longer enslaved to the passions of your flesh or the lies that the evil one likes to hurl at God's people. And as we walk in this newness of life, united with Christ, let us rejoice at the many blessings of our salvation. The one mentioned here in this passage is that of forgiveness. And this is a great little gospel nugget here. Forgiveness is all throughout the book of Colossians, and for good reason. Paul emphasizes it in chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13, and chapter 3, verse 13. Now those chapter numbers and verses, they're not inspired, but uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see the theme of forgiveness all throughout. And for anyone that knows the context of the book of Colossians coupled with the book of Philemon, man, this is a great book. And I'm excited to go through the book of Philemon, this small little one chapter letter. Uh, Paul is writing to a Colossian by the name of Philemon. And he had a slave run away from him. And that slave, Onesimus, has come to faith and now he's coming back to Philemon and Paul writes to him and he wants him to forgive him. So forgiveness is a major theme in Colossians because forgiveness is at the very heart of the gospel. It is grace. It's unmerited by man. It's a gift from God, but it's a bountiful gift. As far as the east is to the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. Psalm 103, verse 12. So it's grace, it's bountiful, but it's also simple. It's simple for even a young child to understand that they have a record of debt before God, but Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and they are offered forgiveness. It's simple, and it's the first blessing mentioned here 
as we're united to Christ. And as this IOU, this record of debt, is getting longer and longer and longer, that debt is nailed to the cross, paid in full by Christ and Christ alone. Martin Luther gave a great illustration of his understanding of the forgiveness of God for the debt in his life. He uh, experienced this great truth in a dream that he had. And Satan came to him in this dream and he had all these scrolls in his hands. And he began to unroll these scrolls and Luther came to find out that these scrolls are the record of debt of his life that he wrote with his own pen. And so Satan begins to read it off. And then he looks up at Luther and he says, is it, is it true? And Luther in his misery confesses, yes, it's, it's true. And then he unrolls more scrolls and he keeps reading. And he unrolls another scroll and he keeps reading and he says, is it true? Is it true, Luther? And Luther in his misery, as he's dejected, slouches down and says, it's true. All of it. And as Satan feels accomplished for um, despising Luther, he's about to depart. And then Luther stands up firm and he says, it's true, but now I write over it all that God's son, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from it all. That God's son cleanses And that is forgiveness. Our record of debt is wiped away. It is no longer there. And it begs the question, have you received this forgiveness? Do you know this forgiveness? If not, I plead with you. I I urge you, be reconciled to God. Turn from your sin. Turn from your way of life and believe in the Lord Jesus. That your sin became his sin on the cross for you. That his perfect life, his sinless life and all the reward that he gets for that obedience becomes your life, becomes your reward. Luther understood that being united to Christ changed and transformed his life. Has it changed and transformed your life? So, as we can now be united to Christ and walk in his ways, let me just remind you that this is God's work. God did this. He alone gets the credit. He alone gets the glory. But we get the joy as we walk with him, united in faith. As I close this morning, I want to highlight verse 15. Verse 15 has this rich imagery of a triumphant war victory. Oh, it's so good. We don't really have anything like a triumphant war victory in our, uh, in our modern culture. Probably the closest thing that I could think of is like a championship parade for a sports team when people lie in the streets and they come down on fire trucks and they've got the Stanley Cup and they're just like, yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of what's going on here, but not really. So with a triumphant war victory, um, a general would defeat a king and a kingdom in a distant land. And once that defeat had taken place, then messengers would be sent back to that war general's kingdom. 
messengers would share this good news that the victory has been won, that uh, the enemy has been defeated. And so all the people in the town, they get ready for this huge celebration and they come and they line the streets and then all of a sudden the gates open up and right passing through are chariots, chariots of armor, of swords, of helmets, of shields, symbolic that the enemy has been disarmed. And then following, following that are treasures and spoils. And following that are the animals and then the king's servants and the king's family and then the king that has been defeated himself, dressed in black, full of shame. And following him are his endless people who are now prisoners of the new kingdom. And lastly, the person to come in is that triumphant war general. That triumphant war general comes through the gates and the crowd just roars. And they understand that this man has won the victory. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus. He has won the victory on our behalf. He has disarmed the rulers, the authorities. We used to have shame because of our sin, but now they have the shame. This is what Jesus did for us as he triumphed on the cross. Satan is disarmed. His minions no longer have authority. And the cross, which was a symbol of death, now for those who are united to Christ, becomes a source of life. Jesus is our conquering king. And we are victorious in him. Let us remember that as we are thankful for our union with Christ, as we resist the temptation to add to him, and as we walk in newness of life, alive in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray.